You're listening to a message that was recorded live at Roots Community Church in Costa Mesa, California. Roots exists to celebrate the glory of God through lives transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about our community, visit us at rootschurch.net. Amen. I'm going to ask the congregation to, to stand again and turn with me to Genesis chapter 41. If for any reason you're not able to stand, this is a, a long reading. If you guys, are, so I see some of you have already peeking to see how long this is going to be. I'll tell you, 57 verses. So take a deep breath. This is God's word. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. And behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows. And Pharaoh awoke. And he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump, full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning his spirit was troubled. And he sent and called for the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams. But there was none who could interpret them for, interpret them to Pharaoh. Verse 9, then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offense today. When Pharaoh was angry with his servant and put me and, and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, we dreamed on that night, on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with its own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving us an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office and the baker was hanged. Verse 14, then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, behold, in my dream, I was standing on the banks of the Nile. Seven cows, plump and attractive, came up out of the Nile and fed on the reed grass. Seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and thin, such as I have never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the thin, ugly cows ate up the first seven plump cows. And when they had eaten them, no one could have known that they had eaten them, for they were still as ugly as at the beginning. Then I awoke. And I also saw in my dream seven ears growing on one stalk, full and good. Seven ears withered, thin, and blighted by the east wind sprouted after them. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven good ears. And I told it to the magicians. There was no one who could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dream of Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. 
The seven good cows are seven years. And the seven good ears of are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that come up after them are seven years. And the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. Verse 28. It is as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of plenty throughout all the land of Egypt, but after them there will arise seven years of famine. And all the plenty will will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land, and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow, for it will be very severe. Verse 32. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dreams means that this thing is fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it about. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. That food, verse 36, shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt, so that the land may not perish through the famine. This proposal, verse 37, pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom is the spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all of this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house. And all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regard the throne, only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand, and clothed him in garments of fine linen, and put a gold chain about his neck, and he made him ride in his second chariot, and they called out before him, bow the knee. Thus he set him over the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no one shall lift up hand or foot in the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name zephaneth Paneah. And he gave him in marriage Azanath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. So Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. Verse 46, Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. During the seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly. And he gathered up all the foods of the seven years which occurred in the land of Egypt and put the food in the cities. And he put in every city the food from the fields around it. And Joseph stored up grain in in great abundance like the sand of the sea until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. For, he said, God has made me forget all my hardship in all my, in all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim. For God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Seven years of plenty. 
The seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt, verse 53, came to an end. And the seven years of famine began to come. As Joseph had said, there was famine in all the lands, but in the land of Egypt, there was bread. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph. What he says to you, do. So when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened up the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain, because the famine was severe over all the earth. And this, beloved, is God's holy word. Please be seated. Well, as we have read, we are continuing in our study of the book of Genesis, and we come to chapter 41 in this great history of redemption. Last week, we ended with Joseph in prison and silence from heaven. That's how the chapter ended. Even though Joseph was helpful to the chief cup bearer, and asked for his assistance when he would be released. Chapter 40 ends with these sad words. The chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. And although it only takes us but a split second to turn the page from chapter 40 to chapter 41, if you even have to turn the page, maybe you just need to glance in your Bible from one chapter to the next. It's a split second for us, but for Joseph, the distance between chapter 40 and chapter 41 is two years. Two years in an ancient Egyptian prison cell. Two years as heaven fell silent. In fact, it had been 13 years since Joseph was sold into slavery by his family, 13 years. And two of those years, again, is in an ancient Egyptian prison cell. With each passing day and week and month and year, Joseph was waiting in silence, wondering if the chief cupbearer had forgotten him. Wondering, perhaps, if God had forgotten him. I wonder if that's you this morning, as you sit here this morning, in your heart of hearts, you're wondering if God has forgotten you. Or maybe like me, you've been in knots all week over all that has happened this past week. And the week before in Buffalo. And like me, you are wondering, where is God in all of this? It feels really bleak. It feels silent and dark, like a prison cell. Has God forgotten us? Well, my hope for all of us this morning is that in seasons of suffering and in seasons of silence, God would forge in us, like he did Joseph, a faith that does not depend on present circumstances to flourish, 
but instead a faith that sources hope in the very character of God. Our story begins this morning with another pair of dreams. Dreams have been common now in the book of Genesis, but these dreams don't come from Joseph. These dreams don't come from his prison inmates. No, these two dreams come from Pharaoh himself. Pharaoh, of course, at this time in world history is the most powerful person on the planet. No doubt about it. He was considered to be a descendant of the raw sun god. He was considered to be in other world, having otherworldly power. He considered himself a god king, Pharaoh. And this Pharaoh has a dream. And of course, the reader, you and I, we're let in on what, what's happening. We understand by now that these dreams are not random, but instead these dreams are coming directly from Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God of Israel. These dreams are coming from El Shaddai, God Almighty, the true King of kings. And this God, Yahweh, is presenting these dreams in order to orchestrate his divine purposes for his people. And so with that, I have three simple movements in the text. If you're taking notes or to help keep me on track. First, Pharaoh's dreams. Joseph's interpretation. And Joseph's rise. Pharaoh's dreams. Joseph's interpretation and Joseph's rise. Before I move forward, you should know that we're going to leave some on the chopping block here. These are 57 full verses. So maybe to ease your, your, your minds a bit, we're not going to be here for two and a half hours. We're going to leave some on the chopping block, some on the plate that I would encourage you at lunch today or in your small group this week to discover and talk through some of the nuances, helpful nuances in this text. But for our time, first, Pharaoh dreams. He falls asleep. And he has two bizarre but pretty simple dreams. Seven plump, healthy cows come up out of the Nile. Now, the reason that this is important, that they come out of the Nile, is because the Nile River was seen as a source of power in Egypt. It was a source of life and power. So this would have got Pharaoh's attention with these cows coming out of the Nile. Seven plump and healthy cows come up out of the Nile. But these cows are devoured by seven thin and unhealthy cows. Pharaoh sort of wakes up and he sort of shakes his head and as we often do, goes back to sleep. And a similar dream comes to Pharaoh. Seven plump and healthy ears of grain are swallowed up by seven thin and unhealthy ears of grain. And now the doubling of the dream, including the Nile, even though Pharaoh doesn't understand what's going on, he needs to know. He wants to know. He's troubled by his dreams. And so he calls on the soothsayers, on the wise men, on the magicians of Egypt to come and give him a helpful interpretation. But surprisingly, none of them take a stab at it. That's surprising to me as you read through the narrative. You think someone would say, 
something just to pacify the moment. Oh, it's totally random, Pharaoh. But apparently this Pharaoh is known for swift judgment. We know what happened of the, the baker two years prior. So no one is there in all of Egypt who can interpret Pharaoh's dreams. And then suddenly, after two long years, light bursts into Joseph's dark prison cell. The door opens. The chief cupbearer says, oh yeah, I forgot my offenses. This whole dream thing just jogged my memory, Pharaoh. There was a Hebrew man in prison who interpreted my dreams and the baker's dream. And although things didn't go very well for the baker, we don't need to talk about that anymore. The Hebrew interpreted our dreams with precision. He's the man you're looking for. Let me go get him. And the door opens to the prison cell two years later. Look at verse 14. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. Now, Hebrew men grew out their beards. Egyptian men did not. And after two long years of being in prison, Joseph was in no shape to stand before a king or kneel before a king. So they shave his beard, they change his clothes, and they usher him into the throne room of Pharaoh. And don't miss what happens next. Before Joseph even renders an interpretation, look at this exchange between Joseph and this God king. Look at verse 15 and following. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear of a dream, you can interpret it. And notice Joseph's response to Pharaoh. Verse 16, Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. This, beloved, is an incredible statement giving the setting that Joseph is in. After two years in prison and after 13 years of being separated from his homeland, you would think that Joseph in this moment, as he stands before this God King, would be a little bit more diplomatic in his words, a little more accommodating to Pharaoh, the man who thinks of himself as a God. But no, by saying it is not in me, but God, Elohim, will give you a favorable answer. Joseph is risking every chance he has at escaping prison. Because Pharaoh could have felt embarrassed. He could have felt mocked by this Hebrew slave who would dare present a God that would rival his own power and authority. Not in me, Pharaoh. God, Elohim, the creator of heaven and earth will give you a favorable answer. Oh, that's risky. That is some bold courage. 
in the face of the most powerful man on the planet who thinks he's God. Not to mention, wrapped up in this statement, not to mention the unflinching humility in Joseph. Joseph doesn't want to come near God's glory. Like the psalmist who says, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name receive glory and honor. Joseph wants nothing to do with credit. I wonder if you feel that battle in your heart with credit. Joseph steps aside, not in me. God will answer you. So my question, before we hurry on to the next point, my my question right here is, is an application question. Where does this kind of bold, courageous faith come from? If you're like me and you want that, where does it come from? How do you, how do you get it? Well, we know it didn't come from Joseph's remarkable rise in power and in prestige. That doesn't come until after. This courage in Joseph doesn't come from a place of power and influence. No, instead, listen, this kind of faith was forged in the pit. This kind of courage is forged in silence. When all you can do is look to the goodness of God as your source of hope because there is nothing in your present circumstances that is hopeful. This kind of faith is forged in seasons of sorrow when circumstances that surround us seem so illogical and bleak like the circumstances of this week. When there is no answers but only tears but you're convinced that God is there. This kind of faith grows in the valleys of life and nowhere else. This is why a couple of weeks ago, we heard from James chapter one, count it all joy. When various trials come against us, not because we love suffering, we're not sadistic sufferers. Yes, I love the pain, bring it on. No, of course not. Not because we love suffering, but instead because in those seasons of life, God is producing in us, he is forging in us a faith that is not dependent on circumstances to thrive. Do you want that this morning? Do you want a faith that is not dependent on your bank account, on your health, on your circumstances, on your sobriety, on all of these things to thrive? I want that. But instead, we want a faith that sources its ultimate hope in the very character of God. Joseph stands before Pharaoh because he has been standing before Almighty God already. The pomp and circumstances of Pharaoh and all of the luxuries, I mean, imagine just the gold and the statues and the just... How does that become not intimidating if your fear of Yahweh is much more? 
The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So, Pharaoh dreams. Next, Joseph interprets. Pharaoh retells the story of his dreams to Joseph, and Joseph gives Pharaoh a helpful interpretation. Joseph says the two dreams, Pharaoh, are actually one dream. They go together. The seven healthy cows and the seven healthy ears of grain are actually seven healthy years of harvest. And the seven unhealthy cows and the seven unhealthy ears of grain are seven years of severe famine. And the seven years of severe famine will swallow up the seven years of harvest unless something is done about it. It's interesting. You can look this up. This is a parenthesis. You can look this up. There are multiple ancient Egyptian documents that detail a seven-year famine in Egypt. I'll share one with you from one historian. There is a text in Sahil that is a part of southern Egypt dating from the second century BC, and it details a seven-year famine followed by years of plenty where Egypt had enough resources to feed its people and the rest of the world did not. It's remarkable, more remarkable than that. I mean, of course, this is history. I'm not, uh, maybe you need to be convinced that this is history. It might be helpful to go read some of those ancient documents. But what's remarkable to me in our text this morning is that Joseph not only gives a helpful interpretation of the dreams, but he also provides a detailed business plan on how to execute. So some of you business people in here, you're going to get all giddy right now because Joseph not only gives a forecast, a 14-year forecast, seven years of bounty and seven years of famine, but he also presents a detailed business plan to the percentage on what he is to do. Look at verse 32 and following. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dreams means that this thing is fixed by God. So Joseph is still bringing up Elohim. The doubling of your dream, Pharaoh, means that this is fixed by God. There's nothing you or anyone else that can do anything about it. And God will shortly bring it about. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh, here's the preparation. Let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. And let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers, management, over the land and take one-fifth, Chris, 20%, 20% of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years and let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities, plural, and let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt so that the land may not perish through the famine. So here's the business plan. You're going to have seven years of unprecedented harvest. Don't eat all of it. That's, a, that's a, like a good principle for life right now. Like we're all experiencing that with inflation and I'm, I'm wishing we didn't eat as much in our home. Don't eat all of it. You're going to have seven years of plenty. Instead, take one-fifth, Joseph says, 20%, and then take that 20% and put it in multiple storehouses, in multiple cities that is ruled by multiple managers. 
Right? If you had just one big storehouse, that would cause a, a bottleneck in Egypt and people would be in, in bread lines forever. No, no, no. Distribute the distribution centers throughout Egypt, store the land, and then you'll be prepared. A remarkable plan from a Hebrew slave who was just a prisoner. And like a prophet, and we'll end this point here, like a prophet of God, Joseph not only announces the problem, there's a famine coming, but he also gives a way of escape. This is what God's people do throughout the Old Testament and into the New, and God's people today as we are prophetic in this culture. We not only present the problem, but also the way to escape the problem. Right? So let that fuel your Facebook posts. We not only, as God's people today, present the problem, which is manifold, but we also present the solution, which is really hopeful. And here Joseph does exactly that. The problem, famine's coming, and it's going to wipe everyone out. Here's the solution. Here's the remedy. So Pharaoh dreams, Joseph interprets. Next, finally, Joseph rises. He rises in Egypt. Needless to say, it is an understatement. Pharaoh is pleased by Joseph's proposal. Look at verse 37 and following. This proposal pleased, in the Hebrew, it greatly pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. In verse 38, and Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom the spirit, in whom is the spirit of God? Now, Pharaoh is not a pneumatologist. He's not a theologian. He doesn't believe in, in these things. So he's putting together in his polytheistic sort of multiple gods mind. He's trying to, something's up with this Hebrew. Are we to find somebody else in whom the spirit of God dwells? He recognizes a uniqueness about Joseph. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God, Elohim, has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house and over all my people. Or, or ch check this out in verse 20. You shall be over my house and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Now in the Hebrew, this is the most, this is the weirdest sentence I've come across in our Genesis journey. The actual translation, and I don't know what, where the ESV goes awry here, but the actual translation of verse 40 is, you shall be over my house and all my people shall kiss your face. <laughs> Which is you know, terribly awkward for us, right, like to think of that. But this idea that my people will have an affection for you, a respect for you. They will, they will kiss you when they see you. You're, you're their savior, Verse 41, and Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh, this is remarkable, took his signet ring representing Pharaoh's authority. He took his signet ring from his hand and he put it on Joseph's hand. And he clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck and he made him ride in his second chariot. And they called out before him, bow the knee. Thus he, Pharaoh, sent him, set him, Joseph, over all the land of Egypt. 
Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no one shall lift up hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. From the pit to remarkable power. Joseph's rise in Egypt is unprecedented. Once a slave, then a prisoner. Now he is the vice regent in Egypt, the most powerful country in the world. His official title, if you're interested, would have been vizier. He would have been the vizier of Egypt. Winham writes that Joseph would have had under his control the treasury, the judicial system, the police, the army, the navy, and all agriculture. Exhaustive authority. Everywhere he went, Egyptians would bow the knee and kiss the ring of a Hebrew. I wonder if Joseph at one point looked down at his Egyptian fine linen and remembered the coat that his father made him so many years ago. The coat that made his brother so jealous. Pharaoh is really interested in Joseph. He's blown his mind. He's given him an interpretation and a plan. Now Pharaoh wants to make Joseph thoroughly Egyptian. Pharaoh's like, I'm going to adopt you fully into Egypt. And so he gives him an Egyptian name. He's acting very godlike, right? You shall no longer be called Joseph. You shall be called this. And he gives him an Egyptian name. And he gives him an Egyptian wife from royalty. And his Egyptian wife gives him two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And if we're wondering, what's, what's to happen of Joseph? Is he going to become intoxicated by all of this wealth and authority and power? We get some insight in the text. Joseph does not give his two boys Egyptian names. He gives them two strong Hebrew names. Manasseh and Ephraim. Joseph doesn't and will not forget where he came from. And Joseph does not and will not forget the God he serves. The story ends with all of Egypt executing Joseph's plan to a T. Seven years of abundance burst the storehouses they're, they lose track of how much extra they have in the land of Egypt. They had more than they could count. And then finally, look at verse 56 to the end. So when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses. What was that day like? And sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, verse 57, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain because the famine was severe over all the earth. One author writes, and this is sort of a common phrase, but kings do not make history. Kings don't make history, they only serve history. God had a plan to preserve his covenant people. If you know the story, 
Joseph becomes this beachhead, this entry point into Egypt, whereby all of God's people would flow into safety. Not only would his people flow into safety into Egypt, but it would be an, uh, a greenhouse where his people would grow into a multitude that becomes even greater than the Egyptians. God had a plan to preserve his covenant people, so Pharaoh had a dream. Kings don't make history, they serve history. They serve God, the one who moves kings and kingdoms. Now most of us, as we close, most of us will look at Joseph's rise in power and influence and will interpret that as greatness. Is it just me or is Sunday a motorcycle? Is there like a parade that we didn't know about? My goodness, sorry. <laughs> Most of us will look at Joseph's rise in power and influence and we'll interpret that rise as greatness. But, but look right at me. Joseph was great before he was in power and ruled in Egypt. Joseph was great before he was in power. Because in the economy of heaven, please listen, greatness is not measured by power and influence. In the economy of heaven, greatness is measured by faithfulness. And faithfulness is not contingent upon one's circumstances in life. True greatness is not contingent upon one's circumstances. Therefore, we are called to be faithful in seasons of abundance. And we are called to be faithful in seasons of famine. And both will come in your life. We are called to be faithful in the pit and we are called to be faithful in power. Greatness is not the rise of power and influence. Greatness is faithfulness. Full stop. So how do we get that kind of faithfulness? Same question. How do we get that? I said earlier that the rise of Joseph in Egypt is unmatched in all of the Bible. It's just, it's a famous story for a reason. From a prisoner slave to the vice regent king in Egypt, nothing like it. And as again, we'll, we'll discover in the narrative that follows, God will use Joseph's influence in Egypt to save his covenant people and to restore his covenant people. But as we've noted time and time again, Joseph, like every other Old Testament character, is a type. He is a shadow. He is a real person. I don't mean to say he's fiction. He is real. This really happened. This is history. This is narrative. But Joseph serves to point outside of himself. This story says there is something else coming. It points, this Joseph story does, it points to another time when God would move kings and kingdoms to save his people. 
See, the only thing more incredible than a prisoner slave becoming vice regent, king in Egypt, the only thing more incredible than that would be a vice regent or a king that would become a slave and a prisoner so that his undeserving people might wear his ring and sit on his throne. Beloved, in the person of Jesus Christ, this is exactly what happened. Jesus Christ, God the Son, descended before he ascended. The King of glory on his throne becomes a prisoner of Rome so that his undeserving people could become citizens of heaven. This Jesus became obedient to the point of death, not to save his people from seven years of famine, but to save his people from eternal ruin. Like the Old Testament prophet, there is a problem. Eternal ruin is clear in the Bible. Eternal separation from God is nothing. Seven years of famine, five years of inflation, 10 years of recession pales in comparison to eternal ruin. That is the bad news. But there is a beachhead. There is an axis. There is a bridge. There is a rescue that God has provided. And it didn't come from a slave who became a king. It came from a king who became a slave He's the only bridge out of this thing. Jesus became obedient to the point of death to save us from eternal ruin. So may God, as he did with Joseph, forge in us faith that does not depend on present circumstances to flourish but instead may God forge in us a faith that sources hope in the very character of God, which is supremely displayed in the person and work of Jesus Christ, the true King who emptied himself in order to save us from eternal ruin. May God grant us that kind of enduring faith until the end. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Please stir in me, please stir in us that kind of enduring faith for our good, for your glory, and for the good of our neighbors. Help us to root our faith and root our hope in the character of God even when we can't understand or especially when we can't understand what's going on around us. We need this, Lord. We need you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.